leadership style is an action-based listening and learning style, which I think is, I think that's an incredibly important style for leadership and one that I do genuinely believe in. And in some of the subjects that I've been reading around and the coaching that I've had, listening and learning seem to be on the top of the agenda for a leader. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. In this week's episode, we are joined by Pauline Rigby, who has been the managing partner at Forbes Solicitors since May 2022. Pauline joined Forbes over 20 years ago, straight from university, beginning her career as a paralegal there. She qualified as a solicitor in 2005, specialising in corporate and company law and headed up the corporate department for many years, as well as taking an active and significant role in the commercial strategic direction of the firm as a commercial partner. Pauline was also passionate about learning, growth and development, which led her to be the training principal at the firm, responsible for recruiting graduates and mentoring them throughout the training and their early years as lawyers. Now, in her role as managing partner, Pauline's main responsibilities include the day-to-day management of the firm alongside the executive board, leading, coaching and assisting the partnership, the directors and the wider team. In this episode, we covered a lot of ground actually and spoke about staying fresh and keeping an external focus when you've worked in one organisation for a long time. We touched on leadership styles, letting go of jobs that you used to do prior to getting promoted and what it's like to step into the managing partner role with literally just a few weeks notice. But before we get into this episode, folks, do take a minute to head over to the online courses page of my website at ben-morton.com, where you can sign up for my 10 for 10 leadership course. It's totally free, it's bite-sized, and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It also gets consistently great feedback from everyone who's completed it. But now, and without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode and please enjoy my conversation with Pauline Rigby. Pauline, a very warm welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us today. First of all, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for today. Something new, something I've never done before. So yeah, really good for a Friday. Thank you. Good. And you're looking and sounding energised, despite the fact that just off air, you'd said your day's not, not gone to plan. So that's that, that's all good, right? Yeah, all good. I've just had a huge coffee about half an hour ago. So that may have something to do with it, Ben. I'm not so sure. <laughs> good. Well, let's uh, get on with the questions whilst you're highly caffeinated then before <laughs> it wears off. So Pauline, you've been the managing partner at Forbes Solicitors for around seven months now, I believe. Is is, is that right? Is that the right time period? Yeah, that's exactly right. So from mid-May, 
kind of informally for a couple of weeks, a bit of a transition role with the previous managing partner, formal effect from the 1st of June. So it's absolutely flown by and very different to how it was when I first started to what it feels like now. I think it's quite astonishing, really, how quickly you can actually get into a role, um, despite it being very different from what I've done before. Yeah. And you mentioned there very different since when you first started at at Forbes. Can you tell us a little bit about the career journey that's got you to where you are today? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. So I've been at Forbes for 20 years this year. So it was 20 years in July. I started at the firm as a paralegal in what was the company commercial team then. So graduate from university. And a year later, I started my training contract, which is effectively um, the time that you spend six months in different departments around the firm for two years before you can qualify as a solicitor. So I did my training contract at Forbes and then I qualified as a lawyer in the company commercial team and very quickly became specialised in corporate work. So M&A transactions, advising our SME corporate clients for what was predominantly about 17 years of my career. Wow. And in that whole period, did you ever sort of get curious to go and look and work somewhere else? Because that's quite incredible, right? And very rare these days, that long working within one company or organisation. Yeah, of course. So I have had numerous approaches throughout my career, but there was a a strong sense of loyalty to Forbes that's been subconscious, I think, for a lot of the time. But I struggled to get a training contract and Forbes took a chance on me. And because Forbes took a chance on me, I'm hopeful it's because they saw something in me that that meant that I did feel incredibly loyal to the firm and I've dedicated a huge amount of time and commitment I've built up so many strong friendships and I'm really pleased to say that I'm now in partnership with most of those people um, as those friends are also business partners within Forbes as well so it just became a huge part of my life and people have always said to me cut me in two and like a rock I'd have Forbes throughout me so it's just become very embedded within me as an individual and within my life as well so it's um There has, of course, been opportunities. When I first started at Forbes, Forbes was predominantly a high street law firm. I qualified into corporate law, so we were not predominantly a commercial law firm at that time. So when I was receiving approaches from other law firms, they were generally more commercial in their nature. So were quite appealing because they would have had more taxing work, more complex work, more sexy, attractive deals for me to work on. But what I did instead of that was think, right, well, what I'm going to do is actually I want to get involved with the partners and with, with my peers at that time to actually grow Forbes and grow the commercial division of the firm to enable us to do the more sexy and the bigger deals and that's exactly what we did and when I was part of the corporate team the commercial teams together were delivering a revenue of about a million pounds in worth of turnover and now I'm pleased to say we're about a quarter of the firm's turnover about five million pounds in terms of what we deliver as a commercial division. And with so long in one firm, like how do you stay fresh and energized and how do you go about sort of keeping that external perspective so you know what's going on beyond the four walls of Forbes as it as it were? Is that something you pay particular 
deliberate attention to? I do now as part of my role now that's a huge piece of what I do which I like to say I actually do in my um, in my spare time so I don't actually see that as work. So I read a lot of the reports about the top 100 law firms around the top 100 to 200 law firms about what's going on in the marketplaces um, a lot of globalization and commoditization in the marketplace very recently we've seen a local law firm that's been acquired by P investment firms there's lots of things that are going on there's lots of challenges in very different areas of the law and so now as in my role as managing partner I see that it's essential that I am fully aware of what's going on in the marketplace what challenges we may be coming up against Obviously, there's all talk about a recession, may not be deep, but may be long. So I've been doing a lot of reading around how that may affect our departments within the firm. Some, um, of course, may be okay. Some may actually thrive in a recession and some may ultimately have a little bit of a dip in a recession. And it's making sure that I'm forearmed in respect of what's going on in the marketplace economically and also just within the legal sector. Mm. And you touched on this just now, like, how do you find the time to do that? Is that literally kind of, that's evening work, that's in, in the spare time, or do you try and block out time in your day for it? I do, it's evening work. I find it very interesting. Um, I have a lot of projects ongoing at the moment. As you can imagine, when you are new in this sort of role, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of projects that I want to, the executive group to deliver on and lots of culture pieces that I need engagement from across the piece. So I find my days are busy enough with those projects. So I like to take the time outside of work um, to do that research and to read around just so that I'm, I feel that that's really really incredibly important to my role that I'm fully aware of all of those issues so I can do my day-to-day job but I also find it really interesting as well so and I do like podcasts radio audiobooks so I do all of that in the car as well to try to um to try to help in my spare time the university of commuting yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) yeah and it was interesting when we spoke a few weeks back preparing for today's conversation Something you said to me really resonated and I'm really keen to ask you some more about. You said you've been legally trained, but never had any training in in leadership. Yet here you are in the the managing partner role. So I guess the first question linked to that, like what does leadership mean to you? Leadership to me is about empowering others. That's how I see leadership and empowering others and to come along the journey with you. So when I say I haven't had any leadership training, I've had leadership training within the firm. So we have Mm. brought experts in on leadership, coaching, mentoring, management. So I have had training to that degree. But When I first took on the role at Forbes as managing partner at the time, we did have a CEO in place as well. So my role was principally going to be internal focus, managing the relationships with the remaining partners and also managing relationships across the wider piece. The CEO role was more of a strategic role, it was more of an, an outwardly facing role. And what's happened since our CEO has left, we've decided as a business that at this moment in time, we're not recruiting for a CEO and we're going to continue with the position of managing partner and an executive board. So I have had to, since I took on the role, then think about, well, okay, well, how is that going to actually change what I thought my role was going to be? So 
it has for me become more of a leader. The managing partner role was, I guess, in the title is managing really a lot of management and management of relationships, management of, of people. Whereas the managing partner role without a CEO now I think expands hugely into leadership and empowering individuals. So I've now, as a result of that, I've joined up to Vistage so that I can work on my leadership style, action-based learning, sit amongst fellow MDs, CEOs, and communicate with them and definitely pick up tips along the way. I've also been working with a leadership coach. And again, I do an awful lot of reading around the subject area. But I think I'm quite lucky because I would have said that my leadership style is an action-based listening and learning style, which I think is, I think that's an incredibly important style for leadership and one that I do genuinely believe in. And in some of the subjects that I've been reading around and the coaching that I've had, listening and learning seem to be on the top of the agenda for a leader. So, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment in my leadership journey. Yeah, I'm really interested about that listening piece and where your focus on on that came from. Because I think it can often be the case for people such as yourself when you've been in one organisation for so long, you've got such a breadth and depth of experience in that organisation. I think for even the most open, most empathetic amongst us, it can sometimes be easy to to fall into the trap of thinking like we we know the answer because we tried this before seven years ago and it didn't work or I know the answer to that because I used to do that job is that something you pay deliberate and particular attention to kind of keeping that open mind and almost trying to to pause before sharing some of your your views and ideas yeah absolutely I've always thought I've been quite a good listener anyway but then my other half politely told me when we got together um, a few years ago that actually when I'm passionate about something I can interject and want to share my views and my opinions on a subject that I'm passionate about so after hearing that that is something that I really do pay particular attention to now especially in meetings where I'm trying to empower my other fellow leaders so heads of department other partners that it's open questions it's about what they would recommend to solutions rather than me actually providing what I think should be the solution so it's a key skill that I think I had a strong foundation of but it's something that I really am conscious of now and actively learning to make sure that I can be the best listener I can be. Yeah I'm standing here smiling I I think for many of us those of us with other halves or partners if we really want to know how good we are at listening they're they're the ones to ask right They'll, they'll, they'll give us the honest answer. (laughs) absolutely and it was quite to be fair it was quite a shock when he said it but he was like you know look it's only passion and enthusiasm for the topic I know it is but sometimes you just have to wait because I was about to come to that before you interjected so so yeah no I completely agree you can go to them for the honesty that you need yeah it also reminds me recently I've reread a book by Marshall Goldsmith it's called what got you here won't won't get you there yeah and he talks about these 21 habits that he commonly sees senior executives exhibiting and the one that really resonates with me that I end up talking about quite a lot now is adding too much value mm-hmm. as senior leaders or leaders we have this desire we think we have to add value all of the time and someone's got a great idea and we 
just add a tiny little bit if you just did this it would be even better yeah and what really stuck with me he said by you adding that little bit of value as a as a leader you might improve the idea by five percent ten percent at best maybe if it's a good idea to start with but what you're likely to have done as well is reduce that person's commitment and desire to deliver it by by 50 because suddenly their great idea has turned into our idea and we're always less excited to implement someone else's idea. Yeah, of course. I think a lot of the stuff that I read and what I do feel quite passionately about is this isn't about you. And I think a lot of leaders can interpret that in the wrong way. So, mm. you know, like, like with that example, would a leader be doing that simply to prove their own worth? Like what, what actually is it about? It's very much a case of with me that a leader is something that if you can empower everybody, but you're doing it kind of magically, if that makes sense. So um, the business can succeed also ultimately without you at the end of the journey that's what you hope yeah. don't you that that's where you hope you can get to and that it's not that you know as a leader you have that thought process that the business wouldn't survive without me you it, my goal here is to make sure that we can get to a position where it absolutely can yeah again without just constantly kind of quoting books here as well like that's the was the main point I took away from Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. He talks about these two distinctions. He said it is an organization run by a genius with a thousand helpers, where when you take that MD or CEO away, the organization doesn't continue because it's all been about that individual and their ideas. Absolutely. Or creating the environment that you've just described, where we're fully empowering everybody and developing the the talent so you take the leader away everyone just still knows what what to do and yeah exactly they weren't the lone lone person at the top yeah absolutely that would be the perfect outcome for me and what was your final journey and preparation like getting ready for the managing partner role sort of how long did you know what was the sort of lead in time how long in advance did you know you were stepping into that role and how did you how did you prepare for it about a fortnight I'm not <laughs> oh, sure okay <laughs> Not sure that's the answer you were expecting there, Ben. But um, I didn't actually put myself forward for the role, and I'll, I'll explain that to you and why. But where we got to was that the managing partner within the firm had decided that he had taken the firm to where he felt that he could, and that he wanted to add more value back to the team that he was quite a senior lawyer and, and partner within. Um, he'd been doing the job for six years and just felt that it was time for somebody else to take on that role as managing partner bizarrely again I felt like I had to justify myself and say well you know I'm in this particular juncture of my life I've got the children in in this position I was thinking I needed to wait till my daughter got to secondary school I've got a wedding to organize I want to focus you know make sure I do not focus on that but make sure I have time to focus on it to which the response was you know we're not expecting you to work 12 13 14 hours a day you know the actual management of the firm and the running of the firm is not your sole responsibility as an equity group we're all here to support you and we know that you'll do your best and work as hard as you possibly can but that doesn't mean devoting your whole life to it so the managing partner at the time you know said to me you don't need to keep justifying yourself you know we know how hard you work the fact that you've got the kids we support you in all of that so now is the right time sometimes things just happen for a reason don't they and fall upon you at a time that you were expecting it to 
had the Easter weekend to think about it and then made my decision over the Easter weekend with my parents and my other half and um, and the children, spoke to the children about it. And then, yeah, I had about two weeks then to prepare for it. So not much preparation, Ben, is, um, is the answer to that question. <laughs> and then shortly after, you also got the CEO role folded in as well, right? <laughs> yeah, shortly after. So I wasn't expecting that at the time that um, I became managing partner. I was quite close to the CEO at the time. So I had an inclination, but I wasn't 100% sure. But I did have an inclination um, that that may happen, but I certainly wasn't expecting it to happen as quickly as it did. So, yeah, but it has been a challenge. And I always think a challenge is good. It's healthy. I've got a really supportive executive board, um, an incredibly strong FD. So things are going well, but it's just incredibly different to what I've ever done before. So clearly you didn't have long to get ready and prepare prepare for the job then. Like what was some of the main differences? Was there anything that surprised you or challenges with the new role that you weren't expecting perhaps? My days are completely different, which I would say was never before. So I felt like my working days before I had a lot more control of and clients were in control of my working day. So I did a lot of fee earning. I was leading a lot of transactions. Whereas now I'm very much the one in control of my working day. So I found that quite interesting at the start and wasn't something I was expecting. I also wasn't expecting how much of my life was a meeting. Right. That became apparent to me quite quickly. So within the first two weeks of my tenure as managing partner, I'd ripped up the meeting structure. We had far too many internal meetings and I was present in meetings where we were talking about things that we just discussed in a meeting previously. And I just remember one day just walking out saying, I'm just spending every single evening um, I was working till early hours trying to do my work for the day because I spent my day in a meeting yeah. hearing the same thing in meetings after meetings so within two weeks I'd built up a case to go to deliver to the rest of the equity partners the shareholders about the meeting structure and about the changes that I wanted to make in that regard uh, and I genuinely thought that some of the equity partners might have been against it because it did mean that they had a bit more knowledge they had a bit more inputs a lot of them were present in in a number of these different meetings but the response was almost a cheer in the partners meeting because they actually just felt like their time was wasted and they had more to do within their time than actually spent in in meetings after meetings so yeah that was a first I wasn't expecting that but thankfully we did resolve that and then yeah like I said to you today you know I'm getting ready this morning and uh, at 6.30 an email comes through and it's urgent needs dealing with so five past seven you're on the phone and it's which is something that you just did not expect to be dealing with that day so far less control is what I would say that I wasn't expecting and what I've had to learn to adapt to but then actually that's one of the parts of the job that I actually really enjoy right. which is the challenges you know there are things that get thrown up there are things that you need to deal with urgently but because I am in control of my time and my diary it does mean that I can then reschedule certain things and the parts of the job that I wasn't expecting it is very different now I don't have a lot of contact with clients anymore so the way that I view this now is rather than 
I was an incredibly responsive lawyer, communicative with clients. Client care was one of the uh, the key characteristics of me as a lawyer. So instead of now thinking, right, well, I have to be communicative, responsive and treat all my clients with ultimate respect, I actually see that as now internally. So if wider team, employees are emailing me, partners are emailing me, calling me, then I address the same principles that I've addressed to client care to those individuals. Nice. So it's just the way I've flipped it in my mind that they're, they're not my client base, but that's how I see it now that they deserve the respect that I gave to the clients that's how I want to treat them as well so that's how I flipped it so yeah plenty of challenges plenty of differences that I wasn't expecting I would have said in the first three months I just thought oh gosh this is not what I was expecting at all I missed the fear and in part of it I missed the clients seven months in and I'm loving it Mm. Your, your last point there about how you flipped it and sort of applied the principles, how you worked with clients to now everybody who works within the firm, though. That's like probably the best way to build and create the culture that you want, right? When people see you as the managing partner, treating all of your associates, employees in that way, then by virtue, they will start to replicate that and see that as the standard for how they should treat their clients without you ever ever having to say probably like, this is how we treat our clients because they're just seeing it from you. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, and I never thought of it that way, Ben, and didn't set out to do that for that reason. Um, but actually, it definitely, I think you're right, it, it hopefully is a byproduct of the service that I deliver internally. And very much so, I make, I'm purposely present in the offices as much as I possibly can be. We do have um, a spread of offices across the northwest of the country, so I can't be in all of them all of the time. But I do like to be present in the office because I like to think that I have a certain style about me with people. So in terms of how to treat people and treat people the same, no matter what the role are, what they deliver to the firm ultimately, Everybody has an incredibly important part to play, an important role in the firm. So you treat everybody with the same level of respect. Mm. And before I became managing partner, I was also training principal at the firm. So I recruited, um, was responsible along with others for recruitment of the graduates and interviewing and then mentoring those graduates throughout their training program. And that was something that I was always looking for in their reviews from their principals, their mentors, that they were showing that element of respect to everybody um, within the teams that they were working within. And I I like to think that if, if I am present within the offices delivering that sort of leadership style that the byproduct of that will be that others will deliver um, a similar not saying robotic but in terms of treatment of others um, that they will deliver a similar style too yeah and has there been anything that you've struggled to let go of since you've stepped into the managing partner role and it just what made me ask that question was I was working with a group of senior leaders yesterday and we started to talk about delegation and people saying the classic sort of worries or blockers that stop many of us delegating. It's kind of sort of, maybe I, I used to do it, I enjoyed doing that job or a worry if I delegated, someone won't do it as well as me in the same way as me, won't get it done on time. So we hang on and keep doing all of these jobs that we're probably no longer the right person to do. Was, was, have you had any experience of that, things you've struggled to let go of? Yep. Um, (laughs) 
seeing some of my key clients and key referrers now no longer working with me, no longer referring to me, um, referring to others, my key clients working with other people. And it's not that I don't think they'll deliver as good a job. It's just that I've had incredibly close relationships with those people for such a long time that I've struggled, definitely struggled letting go of that. And I also had a huge networking and business development piece to my role in the commercial division as well. So I was out there forging connections, um, maintaining relationships with people and winning work where I could. And I made it quite clear when we got to managing partner with the other partners partners that you know I'm more than more than happy to still come to events and actually I think it's key to my role that I'm out especially since the CEO resigned that I'm outward facing that I do go to these events that you know I feel like I can represent Forbes well and then there was a couple of events over the summer quite key events that I didn't get invited to um, <laughs> internally. They just resolved it themselves and they all went. And the, the first thing I knew about it was it's popping up on LinkedIn. There's been this event and they've been there. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> I used to love going to that event. So, yeah, there have been things um, and it makes me smile because I just have to let go. I do or else otherwise, you know, I've got to look forward, yeah. got to look to the future. They can do that job without me and they can do it very, very well. I don't need to be there it's just because it's been such a huge part of my working career for so long that I do smile because I know it's just me looking back a bit nostalgically about things like that but I know I have to look forwards and I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely cool with that and I guess it's, it's mixed feelings isn't it because on the one hand there's like a little bit of lost disappointment like grieving that you're no longer in in there doing that and on the other hand there's probably some pride that it just carries on without you and you've built a team that can do it right and that's the point exactly what we said before about empowering those people yeah. you know these are partners that I've worked with for some time like I've you know a couple of them have developed like under my leadership in the corporate team so I'm now seeing them at partner level out there winning their own work networking with the um, referrers that I used to have the strong relationships with people that I was assisting with in terms of bringing them in so lateral hires they're out there so yeah there is a huge element of pride that you go you know I actually had an input in creating that team now that are the ones that are outwardly facing and doing that job and doing it very well but yeah it's just it's it's nostalgia that all that's all it is man (laughs) (laughs) brilliant Pauline probably one last question before I ask you a few of our sort of regular quickfire ones to to finish up oh yeah I wonder with the wonderful benefit that is hindsight, is there anything that you now know that you wish you'd known before stepping into the managing partner role? Or maybe anything you wish you'd done before stepping in? Do you know, I don't think so. Sometimes you think, I wish I knew all the history. So something that's cropped up today was a decision um, and a discussion that had taken place with somebody pre my tenure on execs and um, discussions with the previous CEO so that, you know, you go, well, I wish I knew that. I wish I knew the context of the conversations. But of course, that's always going to happen. I think what we could have done is transition my role into managing partner a bit slower. It did happen quite quickly. So the plan was for me to transition out of corporate and into the role over a two to three month period. But once the CEO had said that he was going to resign and we then had to move quite quickly on it, my role very quickly became full on, full time in that managing partner role. So 
if we'd have had a bit more time, that probably could have made things a little bit easier. Not principally for me, but for the team that I was leaving in terms of um, me. I'd been there, head of team. A lot of them had been with me for the eight years I'd been head of corporate. So I think the transition may have gone a little better if it had been taken a bit slower. But look, the people, David, um, who's heading up that team now, they're doing an amazing job. Do I think he might have wanted me to take it a bit slower? Maybe. But I, I honestly don't think it's been a huge issue. But other than that, no, I think... A lot of learning on the job has actually been really good for me. And like I say, at first, it was, this is quite a shock. I didn't realise that this was what it was going to be like. And a bit of nostalgia to my previous role, whereas seven months in, I am loving it now. So don't look back. We've got some quickfire questions I like to ask every guest that comes on the show. So the first one is, and I always have to caveat this with other than your smartphone, but what is the one item that you would immediately go out and replace if it were lost, broken or stolen? Do you know what I'm going to say? Because I am old school and it's right next to me here, my Filofax. Ah, cool. <laughs> so I'm going to say my Filofax because it's not just a diary. I have everything in there. Yeah, I'm not quite electronic with all of that. So I do have all my to-do lists and everything using OneNote Excel spreadsheets for all sorts of project management. But I do have your classic to-do list in my file of facts so I have all my diary my notes my finances and anything when I'm having conversations like that it's got a huge notepad to it as well so it's always writing notes so yeah my file of facts with my pen that's what I would say brilliant there should be a spin-off of this podcast which is some sort of stationary lovers group because yes. <laughs> I find it's just so 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 common <laughs> and talking of, talking of Filofax as well, I was gutted when my uh, wife stopped using hers because that was guaranteed stocking fillers every year. It was <laughs> the new notepad, the new diary, <laughs> new inserts for the Filofax. And I'm like, oh man, I've got to think of new Christmas presents now. <laughs> I've now got to the point though where I have notebooks for different things. Same. So Snap. I'm a notebook person. So I've got a notebook for work, day to day. So I've got a notebook for life. I've got a notebook for this, notebook for that. And I keep seeing people with the remarkables and I keep looking at it thinking, oh, this may make my life a lot easier if I just had one notepad um, that I took around with me with the files. But I do like a pen and paper. Yeah, Snap as well. I've been considering buying a Remarkable because I keep seeing people with them for about about two months now. So re- Remarkable, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to test one for you to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Then you can let me know, Ben, what you think. Yeah. Um, but most people that most people are enjoying it. And I do think it's get, there is a frustration sometimes. You can get to work and you've not actually brought the right notepad with you. Yeah. And then you, so yeah, um, it does look like a good option. Yeah, cool. Uh, next question. What is one book or a book that's really had a significant impact on you or maybe a book that you find yourself frequently recommending or talking about to other people? So at the minute, the book that I keep recommending to people, I'm hoping you've read this one, Ben. This is a work context. I've got a couple actually. So my first one is in the work context, leadership context, which is the No Bullshit Leadership book. I don't know whether you've read that by Chris Hurst. I've not, I've not, no. I really, really like it. Um, It's very straightforward, clear language, clear about implementational approach to leadership, very much 
the um, listening, learning and action style, which I think is my default style. So, yeah, I do really like that book. I would highly recommend it. Great. And then in terms of the kind of personal book, I don't know whether you'll remember this book, but I remember reading this to um, my son when he was about 18 months old. And this book used to make me teary every time I read it to him. And it's Oh, The Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. I don't know whether you remember that book. And about how you're off to great places and you'll have mountains to climb and walk and get on your way and I just remember I was always teary when I read that book to him and it's um yeah I would say highly impactful brilliant and final question Pauline what are three qualities that you believe are really important for leaders in the the current day the current world we find ourselves living and leading in listening Arguably, actually, on another podcast I was listening to, these two are very different, but kind of linked together. Discipline and motivation. I'm incredibly disciplined. And I think you have to be in this sort of role, because like I said to you before, a lot of the things that I do, no one's telling me to do them. So I have to hold myself to account for them. So I think discipline, but then you have to be motivated as well as discipline. So I'd say listening, discipline and motivation. And willing to learn that was going to be my final question but I'm intrigued now where do you think your personal self-discipline comes from I think it comes from my background so this is something that I wrestle with an awful lot at the moment um, in respect to raising children so I'm from a working class background my parents both had jobs that meant that mum would work nights dad would work days they were passing ships in the night and didn't you know struggle financially but things weren't easy for us and I was the first person on my dad's side of the family to go to university. So they've always instilled in me the work ethic all the time. Um, Mum and dad never took a day off. And one of the things that they used to be most proud of for me at school was my 100% attendance. (laughs) (laughs) So I am convinced it's my background and Mm. the discipline and the motivation that came from my parents did come from nothing and they worked so hard to to have what they had and they instilled that quite strongly but also subconsciously in me and I've worked from a very young age and just always aspired to want to do and be more and then that's what I'm wrestling with with my children now that you know I'm in a position that I'm very grateful of that financially you know the children are in a nice home it's warm it's they've got food you know and I want to still instill in them this motivation this discipline and this desire to work as hard as as, as you need to and that not to rely on mum to help them out in circumstances and and get that work ethic instilled in them from a young age if you find the answer from that wrestle do (laughs) give us a call and let me know because I'm my wife and I exactly the same we have this conversation how do you keep that for for our daughter but still also really help her understand the value of of money and the value of things and the value of hard hard work it's it is a struggle right it's a tough one it is a struggle because 
you love them so much and you want them to have nice things. If you if you can provide them with nice things, then you want them to have nice things. You want them to go on holiday. You want to share those experiences with them. But there's also this other side that's, you know, I know that I worked so hard because I didn't have much of that and I wanted mm. some of that and I wanted to get into that space where, you know, you can enable yourself to have those things and experience mainly. It's the holidays and the travel that you want them to experience. But it, it is tough. It is really tough because who else, everybody else out there who can provide them with those experiences, I'm sure would do. But it's just balancing it against making sure they have that deep desire to do it for themselves. Yeah, and that's probably a lovely segue to to wrap things up, actually, in that it it reminds me really clearly about 18 months ago, I was given a leadership sort of keynote talk, and we had a QA and a session at the end, and someone in the audience asked me what was my most challenging leadership situation I'd ever ever found myself in. That's a question. Yeah, I I kind of paused, a bit of an uncomfortable kind of pause while I I was thinking, and Part of me really wanted to say something from my my time in the military, but I said, do you know what? It's none of the stuff you're going to expect me to say. It's being a parent. Yeah, absolutely. You are constantly being observed and your kids are constantly learning from you and taking their cues from you, right? So I think, and on the one hand, it could sound slightly trite, say, oh, being a parent's the toughest leadership job in the world. But do you know what? I truly, truly believe it is. There's no hiding. No hiding. You're your biggest critic with it as well, I think. In a work context, you're critical of yourself. But as in a parent, I think because there's nobody to help guide you, is there? In a work context, there's lots of people out there to help guide you. You know, I go to Vistage and you've got my executive board. You've got all sorts of people to help guide through the process. As a parent, then there's just the other parents are there to help guide you, you know, and and then you get that frown from your parents if you've done it in the way that they wouldn't have done something. I know that look. (laughs) So you can, I think you are more critical and you, it's the one that you do lose sleep over if you if you do something and you, you know you may have not acted in the right way around the kids or you've 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 lost your temper over something that actually you wouldn't have lost your temper over it's just because you've had a, a crap day at work that you know you you can really criticize yourself so yeah I'm with you it is a very tough job but a rewarding one a very rewarding one as well yeah the, the most rewarding one yeah, yeah yeah I would agree Pauline, thank you so much. It's been a truly wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, hearing about your journey, and I've enjoyed the segue into parenting at the end as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ben. I've really enjoyed my time with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. There you have it, folks. That was episode 105. I hope you enjoyed listening. But as I always say, much more than that, I really hope that there are a couple of little nuggets of wisdom that you can take away and practically apply straight away to help you be an even better leader. And if you are getting value from the show, folks, it would be amazing if you could take just a couple of minutes to rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you happen to be listening. They really do make all the difference and I love to see your feedback and it gives me the energy and motivation to keep going with this show. Other than that, folks, that is it for this week's episode. 
I will see you again soon or talk to you again soon in another episode very soon. Until then, look after yourself, look after those you have the privilege to lead and lead on. Mm -hmm.